Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Welcome back to the program again this week to what I think will be the final concluding program to the series we've done on the book of Romans. And we have probably over 50 segments that we have filmed in a chapter-by-chapter study of the book of Romans. This has been a transforming study for me. I trust you have been blessed by it as well. I've learned so much and reaffirmed a lot of things I believed even through this study. But let me give just a review and try to conclude with Paul's final commendation and greetings as he closes the book of Romans. When we started out, we taught you that the book of Romans is, first of all, a letter. Hence, it is to be read in one setting. Now, of course, we've not been able to do that because we have 30-minute segments. But if you read this book and you read two or three chapters at a time, and this is where we get in trouble, you're only getting part of the whole message, and then you're missing the point of the flow of the whole book. For instance, the book of Romans, I broke down into three segments. The first three chapters especially, I call the diagnosis. Paul is diagnosing the condition of the human element. And what he does in Romans chapter 1 and 2 and 3 is he starts by indicting everything and everybody, insiders and outsiders, Jew, Gentile, sinner, and saint. If you pick and choose and you just stop after the first couple of chapters, you're going to think, I'm doomed, I'm done. And what we normally do with that is we pick the few pet scriptures we like where Paul was dealing with, well, you know, men with men, women with women, and that which is unseemly, and we try to put our focus on that. That way it keeps the heat off of stuff we're doing. Paul goes on to indict not just that, but everything and everybody. And if you start to preach Romans 1 and 2, and you read the whole chapters, even down through chapter 3, you're going to find somewhere in that chapter, you're going to find your own, your own faults and your own sins. Because he goes on to say in chapter 2, the goodness of God will lead you to repentance, but after the hardness and impenitent heart, you treasure for yourself wrath against the day of wrath. What he's talking about there was a judgment that was coming in A.D. 70, when the day of wrath would come, but that God was not willing that any should perish, but that the goodness of God was purposed, and still is purposed, to bring you to repentance. The goodness of God will lead men to repentance. But as you come on down through into chapter 3, I remember uh, when uh, there used to be a man travel with me. He's up years now, and so he doesn't travel with me, but he's still on my board of directors. Uh, when he first I got, I bought him a Bible, he was fresh off the street, and man, he didn't know much about God, and just got saved and started to travel with me. And he came in one night late in the hotel where uh, we were at, staying doing a conference in Arizona, and he says, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. I said, what is wrong with you, brother? He said, have you read this book before? I said, yeah. He said, man, I think you're lying to the people, because I was preaching grace at that time. I said, well, what do you mean you think I'm lying to the people? And he said, well, man, have you ever read Romans 1 and 2? I said, how far did you get? He said, I got through chapter 2. I said, you quit too soon, because you're going to get the conclusion that you just got. I'm unclean, and I'm a sinner, and I'm no good, because that's the whole point of Romans 1, 2, and 3, is that by the time you get to Romans 3, and, and I said, sit down right here on this bed and read the Scripture. Romans 3, 23 
All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and there is none righteous, no, not even one. In other words, not even Moses, the mediator of that covenant, was going to make it in by the works of the law. It had to be by the hearing of faith, and until he concluded all under sin, he did that so he could have mercy on all. The law was added to bring you to the place where you realized, I need a Savior. That's the first part of the gospel, is insiders, outsiders. And then after he indicts all the Gentiles and all the idolatry and all the perversions and all the stuff that they're doing, he comes in next and says, now you insiders who've had the covenants of promise, do you think you're in any better shape? The conclusion the message Bible says is, we are all in the same sinking boat. There is none righteous, no, not even one. So if you read that and you quit there, you're like, I'm doomed. I'm done. But he starts into the next segment of Romans. Remember, it's written as a letter. And he starts into the deliverance. And then he starts to give us some good news. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. In other words, he simply believed God. The Message Bible says he entered into what God was doing for him instead of what he was doing for God. And he trusted God that even God was able to raise from the dead his son Isaac, which the Scripture says God did in a figure. So he believed in, by faith, he believed and trusted that God could do what he said he could do, and that was to believe the promises of God, and God counted it to him for righteousness. And we find then in the New Covenant that as we make our way through the book of Romans and realize I need a Savior, and then that my salvation and my redemption, man is this good news, is not based on my performance. It's not based on how good I am. It's based on how good God is. And the Bible goes on to say that Abraham was declared to be righteous before, before he was circumcised, and before he ever did anything, God simply said, you are righteous. Abraham believed God. Now see, what you really believe, you will act on. And when you believe you're righteous, so the gospel begins to tell you not what's wrong with you, but what's right with you. When we study to show ourselves approved unto God on the basis of not my performance, but on the basis of what He did, my faith is in Him to be able to keep His promise and know that what He began, He will also finish. Then Romans 5 starts talking about, He takes it clear back to Adam, and I like how the Message Bible says it. It says, one man did it wrong, got us in all this trouble with sin and death, and another man did it right and got us out of it. But more than just get us out of trouble, He got us into a life. So it's not just getting out of trouble, we were reconciled by His death. And every single man has been reconciled to God by the death of Jesus Christ. In other words, God is saying, from my perspective, I'm no longer holding your sin against you. I'm not mad with you anymore. I've been reconciled to you. Now, our message should be, be you reconciled to God. God's not mad with you. Now, you stop being mad with Him. And what Jesus did on the cross was not to change God's mind about you. It was to change your mind about God and see Him as someone who was looking with arms while it says, Come to me, all you are weary and heavenly laden, and I will give you rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That is incredibly good news. And then we come into chapter 6, 
And he says, since then, uh, he said, should we continue in sin so grace can abound? God forbid. How can we, who are dead to sin, live any longer in it? And he begins to show you what happened to who you were in Adam, that there was a decisive end to that sin-depraved life, and that was God nailed it to the cross, and that the death of Jesus was not just the death of one man, it was the death of all men, and that Jesus died not to give you life. He died to give you a death. He gave you a death to who you were in Adam, He got up from the dead to give you a life so that you could live this resurrected life. And then he comes into chapter 7. Of course, in chapter 6, he continues to tell you that the issue of sin is not what it does to God, but it's what it does to you that he's after so that you can live this incredible life in what I called Graceland, where Adam has left the building a new life in a new land, how to live the resurrection life. Then chapter 7, he talks about torn between two ways of doing it. He talks about the covenant of the law and the roller coaster ride of I want to do good and evil is present with me, and what I want to do is not what I seem to perform, and what I hate, that's what I do. And he's telling you the plight and the condition of a man under the law. It's like this roller coaster ride of up and down, up and down, up and down. And he concludes that chapter by saying, who? will deliver me from the body of this death. And he's talking about the whole body of the law and the whole body of being in the wrong man in Adam. And he says, thank God, he will. And then he opens chapter 8 by saying, there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ. In other words, there's not a passing of a sentence to those that are in Christ because Christ already suffered the pains of death for you so that now you and I can live in the freedom of how and what it means to live the Spirit-governed life. And even when he declares in Romans 8, who will deliver me from the body of this death, he says in Romans 8, we will receive the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. And that adoption is what Paul called in Galatians 3. When we were children and we were under the law, the motions of sin we're alive in our members, but now we have been placed, we athesia, adopted into the covenants as sons of God, and now we're in a totally different body, and we've received redemption from that roller coaster ride of when I want to do good, evil is present with me. And Paul talked about the suffering of that present time not being worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed. And the suffering of that present time was not a generic suffering that's for all people at all time. That suffering that Paul went through was the persecution to preach the gospel and to preach a message diametrically opposed to the whole system of law that was the message of the day. He's declaring freedom and liberty because he knew that if he would preach freedom and liberty, that it would put him under persecution and suffering, shipwrecked, jailed, beaten, let down over walls and baskets, but he knew that the suffering of that present time wasn't worth being compared with the glory that was about to be revealed because the creation itself was about to be brought into a glorious liberty. That glorious liberty was the liberty that we now stand in, in the new covenant, being freed from the tyranny and bondage of a law system of thou shalt, thou shalt not, thou shalt, thou shalt not. The law says thou shalt, thou shalt not, thou shalt, thou shalt not. The new covenant says, God says, I will, I will, I will, and I will. The old covenant was about your performance and what you did, and the new covenant is about what God does through Christ to be able to get to you and reconcile you and give you a life that keeps on going on 
and on and on. That doesn't mean we're giving people a license to sin. It means we're giving them the only thing that can empower them not to. And then as you come into Romans 9 and 10, he talks about, especially in chapter 10, that the Jews stumbled at the stumbling block and that they did not submit themselves to the uh, uh, to the to the law of righteousness, but went about to establish their own righteousness based on the law, and they stumbled at the stumbling block and the stone of offense. But it goes on to say that if you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you would be saved. And well, there's some powerful stuff in that tenth chapter because I, I took you back and showed you how in Deuteronomy he's, he says in Deuteronomy, who will go up to heaven? That is to bring the words of this law down to us, that we may hear it and do it. Or who will go across the sea, that is to bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. But the words of this law are in your heart and in your mouth. And, and, and he starts talking about the words of this law. Paul quotes that very scripture in Romans 10 when he said, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. In other words, Christ's righteousness is my righteousness. And then he says, to everyone who believes. And then he quotes that scripture from Deuteronomy, for who will ascend up to heaven? But this time he doesn't say to bring the words of this law down. But who will ascend up to heaven? That is to bring down Christ from above. Or who will ascend into the abyss, the deep, same word that's used as sea in Deuteronomy, who will go across the sea in Deuteronomy to bring the words of this law to us that we may hear it and do it. In Romans 10, Paul replaces the law with Christ again because Christ is the end of the law. So who will go down into the abyss? That is to bring again Christ from the dead. And so what he's saying is, under the old covenant, it was the words of this law. But now Christ has ascended, and Christ has done it, and Christ has fulfilled the law, so that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, and you believe that God raised him from the dead, you believe then that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness and that your righteousness is not yours, it's his. Hallelujah. And he goes on to say, who has believed the report and to whom would the arm of the Lord be revealed? Those who receive the arm of the Lord and the power of God manifest in their lives are those who simply believe the report and the gospel, the good news that Jesus paid it all. And then we come into 11 and he talks about the branches being cut off and wild branches being brought in. And the issue there is he's not a Jew, which is one outwardly, whose circumcision is in the heart. He is a Jew who is one who's connected to the true vine. And the whole point of Romans 11 and the inclusion of both Jew and Gentile is not whether it's a wild branch or a natural branch. The issue is he is the true vine. Then we come into chapter 12 and we find out that Paul is saying, don't be conformed be transformed. And what we shared with you is under the old covenant, if you are being conformed, law can change your behavior, but only grace can change your heart. So law can conform you, but grace will transform you. Make no mistake about it. I'm a grace preacher, but I believe in real change, not in conformity, because that's what we did under legalism. We conformed to somebody's idea of holiness, and to be conformed is you take something external and superimpose upon it and make people behave a certain way, and it's not authentic. But when you transform, it's the Greek word metamorphosis. It's like a caterpillar and a butterfly. What happens is something came inside of you and began to change you from the inside out, 
and not the outside in. We used to use that scripture, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed like you can't go see a movie or you can't, you know, go to your high school prom because we're being conformed to this world. That's just baloney. That's not, has nothing to do with it. He's talking about the difference of being conformed under law or being transformed under grace and real change occurs as we're transformed. Wu says it like this in his translation, stop assuming an outward expression that does not come from within you. And so he starts in chapter 12, not of the diagnosis nor the deliverance, but the dispensing and the manifestation of what it means to live in grace. So he starts talking about then, here's what I want you to do. The message Bible says, take your everyday walking around, going to bed, going to work, going to the grocery store life and lay it before Christ as a living sacrifice because this is the outworking of the transformation of grace as it works in your life. 13, we talked about how civil government and church ought to work together. One has assignment to wield the sword, which is the government. That's for law enforcement, to raise military armies, to be infrastructure, and certain governments are important in their place. But the reality of it is, is that as you learn how to walk within those scopes, I think it's really vital what I taught on that, because if the church welds the sword, we get what you saw in the Inquisitions, and uh, the Crusades, and you see the horrific things that religion has done over the years when they stepped outside of their assignment of being the keys of the kingdom and started being the sword. The same is true when the government decides that they're going to be the keys of the kingdom is what we saw uh, in, in the early days when the pilgrims came over here was because the king was the head of the church, and he was enforcing and forcing people to do such things as the church was requiring. I don't want either one of them. I want us to stay in our assignments. The church is to be salt and light in the keys of the kingdom, and we are to speak to principalities and powers, the manifold wisdom, and give answers to those in authority, and let those who function in this dimension function within the dimension that they are called to function within. That's a, you can go back and watch those on YouTube. Then we came into 14 and 15, and we saw how this is outworked by not condemning people. If they, one eats meat, another doesn't eat meat, one observes a holy day, and another does not observe a holy day. But we simply learn how to walk in love with each other. And in chapter number 15, how we bear one another's burdens and how the inclusion of the Gentiles and Jews was a cultural shock, and they learned how to get along with each other and even their dietary rules and their dietary laws by not purposely and intentionally trying to offend each other by what they ate or drank because we start to honor each other in love because we realize that it was for this sake that Christ died. That's kind of the summary of those chapters, and I believe you've been blessed by them. Let me finally read Paul's final commendation, and then we're going to close this segment. He says, I commend to you, Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Syncria, uh, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of, her, of, of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed, she has been a helper of many and of myself also. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Greet my beloved Epitus, who is the firstfruits of Achaia, to Christ. Greet Mary, who labored much among you, uh, my countrymen and my fellow prisoners who are of note among the apostles who also were in Christ before me. Let me make a comment about this. Greet Andronicus 
and Junia, my countrymen, and my fellow prisoner, who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. The reason I feel like I needed to make a comment about this is because there are some teaching that everybody is in Christ already generically. This scripture kind of makes me question that, because here's Paul saying, these folks were in Christ before I was. So I believe there is a difference. I believe that I, I, I believe that you must believe in your heart, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. You must receive by faith this forgiveness of sin, and that's what brings you in Christ, in your experience. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Stachus, my beloved. Greet Apelles, approved in Christ. Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my countrymen. Greet those who are of the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Again, he's pointing out some are in the Lord and some are not in the Lord. So that to me kind of blows away the whole universal idea of everybody's already generically in Christ from the cross on. I do believe that salvation was secured for every man and that every man was reconciled to God by the death of his son, but we are saved by his life. And so it's not just his death, it's his resurrection life that we believe into and that faith causes us, if we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. It's not that difficult. Greet Drypena and Tryphosa, who have labored in the Lord. Greet the beloved Persis, who labored much in the Lord. And greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord and his mother and mine. Greet Asyncretitis and Phlegon, Harmus, Patrobus, Hermes, and the brethren who are with them. Greet Philogus and Julia, Nerus and his sister, and Olympus and his all the saints who are with him. Greet one another with a holy kiss, and the churches of Christ greet you. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned, and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience has come known to all, therefore I am glad on your behalf, but I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. And uh, greetings from Paul's friend Timothy, my fellow worker, and Lucius, Jason, Sosipater. My countrymen greet you. I, Tertius, who has wrote this epistle, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, my host, and the host of the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the treasurer of the city, greets you. And Quartus, a brother, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now to him who is able to establish you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, According to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the begin, since the world began, but now made manifest by the prophetic scriptures, made known unto all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith, to God alone wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Hallelujah. Let me just uh, say, uh, let me read this, that part of the benediction from the message. It says, all of our praise rises to the one who is strong enough to make you strong. Exactly as preached in Jesus Christ, precisely as revealed in the mystery, kept secret for so long, but now open, but now an open book through the prophetic scriptures, that all the nations of the world can now know the truth and be brought into obedient belief, carrying out the orders of God, who got all this steadfastly, who got all of this started down to the very last letter. All our praise focused through Jesus on this incomparable wise God. 
Oh yes, hallelujah. I trust you've been blessed by this series on the book of Romans. I think it's been an incredible series. I think I appreciate even this latter part because it shows you the human side of this. I think sometimes we see this in such a historic backdrop that we forget these are real people going through real things. I think of Aquila and Priscilla, especially who he's greeting here, who helped him learn the way of God more perfectly and learned, uh, you know, those who helped him along the way in his times of imprisonment and times of struggling in the faith. But he's simply talking about how this thing is lived out in community. I still believe in the local church. I believe in community. I believe that, uh, I, I, I believe that this, I think the gospel should be so practical that it works in our everyday lives. I believe that when you walk in the perfect law of liberty, which is the law of love, it teaches you how to get along with civil government. It teaches you how to get along with people who are unbelievers. It teaches you how to get along with the saints of God in the church who have different belief systems than you do. I, I, it's amazing to me, as I've traveled the world, what each ethnic group kind of views as sin or not as sin. You know, I was watching something the other day on the Waltons, and it was called The Sinner, and this young preacher had come to town with a whole bunch of condemning ser sermons, and before you knew it, this preacher had gone over to these people's house, and, and, and they drank some of what they called, uh, I believe it was, the, the recipe, and uh, unbeknownst to him, and he ends up getting drunk, and he was supposed to preach the next day, but because of his fall, he learned what grace really meant. Now, I'm not simply saying that you ought to fail so you can learn what grace means, but I can tell you this, all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and that God loves broken people. And the truth of it is, broken people is all there is. And if it's not for grace, there's none of us going to make it, because the end of the law is there's none righteous, not even one, not even Moses made it in on the basis of the works of the law. God was trying to show us that it had to be by the hearing of faith. And I'm so thankful for that because it's grace that brought me safe thus far. It's grace that will lead me on. And grace is not greasy. Grace is empowering grace as well. For the grace of God has appeared to all men, Titus said, teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and walk in it. And so I think that when you understand the gospel in Romans, I believe I brought a really balanced view of what the book of Romans has been about. And if you've missed any of this, go watch it on our YouTube, or we should shortly have these available for you to order and purchase so that you can listen to them. But I, I, I want to encourage you in the last final moments that if you'd like to become a partner with our ministry and sow a seed into this ministry, we do need your help. And the easiest way to do that is either to scan the QR code that you see on the screen or to go to lenhiles.com. And there is a PayPal portal there where you can give your offering via credit card or debit card. You can give a one-time gift, or you can set up a monthly debit. We need you as a monthly partner. And don't think little is, 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 is insignificant. A whole lot of little makes up a whole lot. And so if you can do that, do it please today. Also, you can send a check or money order to the address that will come up on the screen, and we will receive it that way. Or you can call the number that's on the screen. Uh, because this is aired late in the evening, probably no one is manning the phones. But if you leave a message and you want to call back, someone from my team will call you back and be able to take your offering that way. So God bless you, and thank you for joining us. God bless you. I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. 
In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.